you know. Um, hey, this is Ross Bain with Roleplay Public Radio. We're here at Gen Con 2018. All right, thanks. Uh, this is the our first panel of the year uh, for Gen Con. This is the RPBR game design panel. Uh, and of course, there's me, and I'll be talking about the game that I'm working on right now, Ruin, uh, which is a role-playing game. But we also have two other panelists. Uh, you can ask questions who we have on my left. Hi, I'm Caleb. I don't know why I introduced myself, because there's ten people in this room. Uh, <laughs> and I know all of them. It's for the listeners. Yes, for the listeners. Uh, and I also design games occasionally. Yes. Uh, and to my right... I'm Jeff Barber. Uh, I try to design games occasionally, uh, and I've met many people in the room. Well, I have a terrible memory for names. <laughs> All right. Um, so I guess we can start with just a little kind of status update with what uh, we're all doing right now in a little more detail. Uh, of course, we should start out by congratulating Caleb uh, for uh, getting a new campaign for Delta Green written. Or, Thank you. Wait. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> pump the brakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, in the progress, it uh, uh, thanks to the Delta Green, uh, the Labyrinth Kickstarter, um, <laughs> Caleb uh, is finally going to bring God's teeth, teeth of God, uh, to print. You've already ruined it. <laughs> I made it better. It's yeah. more. It's it's grabby. It's a it's a grabbier name. Yeah. It, yeah anyways, uh, so. Yeah, so Caleb, uh, is that what you're going to be focusing on right now? Or like, what, what, are you, what are you currently focusing on? Um, I work better doing two things at once. Like, I got more red markets written when I was doing No So Left Behind than when I wasn't. Because <laughs> my, yeah. my number one way to procrastinate is when I don't want to do something is to do something else also productive. <laughs> so um, I'm going to be working on... Uh, God's Teeth, and then I also hope to be working on uh, adapting the uh, Q system to a new setting. So, um, and I talked to Jeff about that. But uh, and that—that's going to be well. Broadly speaking, it's a superhero kind of game. Well, in a sense, it's an anti-superhero game. Okay. Um, it's uh, calling it Slingstone. It's very much about asymmetrical warfare. Uh, and uh, radicalism and fanaticism and that kind of stuff because you are humans that are just really tired of Cyclops' girlfriend killing your loved ones and so you're going to put him down before he can dig her ass up again or something like that. Uh, So basically you're sort of uh, designing superheroes to then have fanatical like an insurgent cell to destroy. Um, um, And it's going to use the the card of the Q system but I'm going to add in some trumping mechanics hopefully so like um you know if if the accuracy cards are diamonds like uh cyclops is two of diamonds is going to beat your ace of spades because he's going to cut you in half with his eyes um so it's going to be about building traps it's going to be about organizing your own special deck to take down these super powerful um characters and most of the scenes will be uh, the best part about the key system is that you can move so, so fast through. You can basically have uh, what would be like a season of a long form, um, you know, cable television show in a night, as you're like, you know, talking to former henchmen to steal their freeze ray because you need it for this certain thing, and like securing a location from a crime boss. And um, so, I am working on that. I've actually got a, uh, some alpha rules written up. We just haven't had a chance to play test them yet. So. Um, yeah, I'm going to go nuts writing God's Teeth because it's already planned out. And so I'm really just going to be working through the outline 
and there's a certain point where that gets agonizingly boring, <laughs> even if you're excited about doing something, because like I know what I need to do. Um, so whatever I'm not doing that, I'm going to try and work on Slingstone. And then I also have an alpha for um, a game called Doctor Witch Doctor. But I need to write an app for that, and I don't know how to do that, so uh, that'll probably take longer. <laughs> so you're going to learn programming, is what you're saying? No, I'm going to try and save up enough money to hire someone to do it for me. Okay. Which is the heaven on games way. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, so um, that is a medical deduction game that would be GM-less. Um, and uh, basically the app picks the disease that the patient has and the person role-playing the patient just gets a list of symptoms that they have to convey through role-playing and then the doctors have to have like crappy medical TV drama scenes to fuel their deductive abilities so it's like oh well we need to know whether it's in this quadrant or this quadrant so we better go make out in the supply closet. Uh, as a doctor and a nurse, the love that dared say its name. Um, and then it's like, yeah, we got our points. And then you, put, you spin that into the app to eliminate an option. Um, so every episode would be a sort of like figure out what the disease is. Uh, and the premise is, is that in Dr. Witch Doctor, every form of medical practice worked so every form of crackery that exists and now and in the past and chronology from, yeah yeah exactly everything works um, modern medicine works and that's the medical side and then the also thing is like every religion shamanistic mystic practice also works it is part of medicine so the app works by taking like two D100 tables of like uh, adjectives and nouns and then just bashing them together into a new disease. So it's like, oh, I have dental ghosts, um, <laughs> intestinal lycanthropy, and like uh, you're trying to, it's trying to bash, bash these things together and give you a list of random symptoms, but the, the patient doesn't know what's happening. Please um, let that be a snake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have the intestines of a were-goat. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and then once you figure out what disease it is, like, that's the game. Like, you could say you're going to treat it however you want. So I'm like, yeah, that's obviously the treatment. You know that you're done. Um, so pretty rules light. Uh, but again, I need, a, I need an app that can bash together these two things and keep all the the uh, symptoms straight. Um, and I also, I'm tr- writing the list is a nightmare, but um, I'm basically doing two taxon- taxonomies. So it's like um, five five groups of 20 things, and then you break that up into five groups of four things, and then you have four things in there. And so you just sort of whittling down by eliminating families. So it's like, oh, it's in family two, so it's, you know, something between 20 and 21 and 40, and now we got to eliminate this down into well, okay, so that's now it's going to be 21 to 25. It's in that group, and now we're going to kill that. But uh, I don't know how to program, so right. I just have the game part. Um, All right, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah, cool. Uh, so, Jeff, uh, what's going on with uh, Upland and Q system? I mean, <laughs> so I got my hands on this yesterday, so it's not even 24 hours old, but it's the proof for the POD version. So I feel like a major uh, finish line has been crossed, or at least yeah. a, a benchmark in the race. Yeah. Um, so I'm super excited. Uh, I'll pass it around if anyone takes a look at it. Uh, this um, once this is approved, then they'll convert the files to offset for the backer books and the distribution books for re- for retail. So uh, even as a POD, I think this looks fantastic. So I'm really excited. 
Um, and I'm excited to have people get into their hands. Cool. Did you uh, cry when you got it? I almost. I yeah. definitely yeah. cried when I got my so first I, copy of Red Bar. Yeah. I handed it to me. I was talking to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> From the sheer physical pain. And also. I, I actually, it wasn't until I was walking back to where I'm staying with, with a book in my bag, and I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. It's actually done. It's shockingly good for color POD. Yeah, it's the uh, premium version from um, Drive Through. Okay. Uh, so it's considerably more expensive as PODs go, but it looks really good. The full bleed um, was amazing because POD is not always well known for that. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, cool. And um, how is the. You've also been working on a skirmish game or a naval sort of. Well, it's based on upwind. Yeah, there was a, one of the stretch goals um, was uh, based on a game idea I'd had um, in the past and sort of had stalled on, and I realized it could translate to upwind pretty easily. We're mm-hmm. calling it incursion. Um, and it is essentially uh, skyship combat in the world of, of Upwind. Um, it's pretty, as far as miniatures games go, it's pretty rules light, and it's print and play at this point. Um, you've played it a little bit, yeah. Uh, and if you're into that kind of thing, it's it's pretty fun. It's got, if not innovative, some innovative rules, at least some fun things that kind of get inserted into mm-hmm. um, the game that you don't usually see in miniatures games. Um, you can actually have knights on, on some of your ships, and they have some interesting powers that kind of act as interrupts, which isn't really a, a common miniatures um, mm-hmm. element. Um, but that's pretty much done and uh, is in editing now, so that the, that can go out to backers uh, before too long. Cool. Uh, so I'm pretty pleased with how that's come out as well. Yeah. Um, and you actually emailed me, an, uh, not quite a game design project, but sort of related, uh, a project you started talking about of a podcast. So Oh, so yeah. premature that I'm not yeah. sure even okay. what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else you're working? Um, no, actually, I, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, because of this, the status of the project, mm-hmm. I've been kind of hands-off over the summer. And it's sure. the first summer in many that I haven't been feeling desperately desperate need to be productive uh, so it's been kind of nice enjoying <laughs> yeah. my summer <laughs> uh, I wonder what that's like yeah. Um, so yeah um, for me um, I have been working on Ruin uh, for um, months now uh, years infant ages decades I don't know um, and now I, uh, actually uh, a couple days ago uh, I actually managed to run the very first playtest of what I feel is a workable game for Ruin um, so the premise of Ruin is um, a group of people, travelers, uh, just all check into this hotel. They don't know each other. They're all strangers. Um, but it's the Sleep Easy Inn. It's like a standard by-the-highway kind of two-star hotel. Um, stains on the walls. TV doesn't work right. Uh, but they wake up, and then they find out that there's they, when they look out the window, there's, there's nothing, literally nothing. There's no, there's no light. It's just a void. And all the outer doors and windows are indestructible. You can't escape. Uh, and when you open a door, to a, you're, you try and go back to your room, it opens up into a different place. Um, and so it's about being trapped in a labyrinth, a, uh, which I, I'm calling uh, a structure. And so for it, I'm sort of, um, one of my inspirations are like basically survival horror video games because what I find very interesting that people don't really, I think, explore with video games is they build a complex full sort of rule set to describe combat, healing, navigation, all these subsystems, but it's only to service one particular story. It's only like... 
Uh, Resident Evil just tells the story of these characters in this mansion solving these puzzles. It's not like Resident Evil, the role-playing game, the tabletop game, which would be like, here's how to run a, a, a type of this game, fighting zombies and solving puzzles anywhere, and like write your own game, and blah, blah, blah. And because it's a very crafted thing for one story, for one type of story, that um, they, they, it's you can do interesting systems that you wouldn't be able to do for a more toolkit sort of universal approach. Uh, of course, RPGs have campaigns, but then that's trying to fit a particular story into one generic rule set that's sort of meant to solve all instances. So, um, so I'm kind of trying to go with that sort of experience, but bring it into the tabletop environment. So, like for example, character creation happens during the game. Um, like you just wake up and you tell, like, oh, well, what what was the conversation you had before you woke up tonight? You know, before you, before you checked into the hotel, and that kind of helps establish who your character is, and then you like. Uh, you sort of go through and uh, um, it, it, figure out your basic stats, and your character gets modified as you play. Um, and then I want to, you know, it's also supposed to be architectural horror, which for me is sort of exploring a structure. So, like, there's going to be a lot of, like, yeah, you're trapped. In, the, the plot is you're trapped and you can't get out, so you have to figure this plot out. But, like, there's no, like, go do this mission right now. No one's telling you what to do. So you can just kind of figure out what you want to do. Um, so another thing is there's, no, there's not going to be an item shop. There's not going to be a person to easily buy things from. You have to scavenge and craft. So I want to have crafting mechanics where you have to combine different items together to get a tool or you know some sort of defensive weapon or item or healing item or something like that. Um, and that's where we're going uh, with that. So I've, I've written about 13,000 words of the current draft so far, and I need to write up many, many more words. Um, and... Yeah. So, but it, the the first playtest went well. In that, played a really terrible person. You did play a really ter- terrible person, uh, Caleb. Yeah. You told you told my character that the only way to see more rooms was to you know change his key card code with the blood of someone that died. And yeah. so I'm just like, well, I want to see more of the playtest. So <laughs> my character just went fruity loops and started murdering everyone and like running his key card through their wounds yeah. to get into different rooms because I wanted oh. to see all the levels. Yeah, and that was good um, like, in terms yeah. of the playtest. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I learned a lot of things so about the first published scenario will be called Bloody Key Card. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's the first step. So, like, the idea um, that I have for the for the ruin is that um, I, there is a meta plot. There's a plot that explains why the structure is what it is. Um, but the way the players uh, find out that they can navigate the structure and sort of figure out a way to escape is actually to learn a language. There is a the 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 creator of the structure had its own language, and by learning certain symbols or words, you can then all alter the structure yourself. So you have to sort of learn a new language. And the first symbol, the first word, the first symbol is death, which also means door. Um, so you, if you find something that is dead and concentrate, you can take your key card. And so that's the sort of the first crafting form. You just find something of death related to death and get put your key card next to it and think for a bit. And oh, now you can open a door with your key card. Uh, you sort of charge it. Um, so that's, so it, I want to have like unnatural weird things in there, but like not traditional fantasy things, not traditional horror things. So there's no, there's not going to be like a Necronomicon per se, but there's going to be weird things that don't make sense. Um, that you know, there were other uh, unnatural items that like they found a bottle of wine that just would heal your wounds uh, when you drank it. So uh, and they found the place where it came from, and people there were had their own issues. So um, uh, yeah, so that's where I am with ruin. Um, 
So I think that's where where we all are with our game design projects. Um, so yeah, this is for you guys as well. So we have some time. So this is a, you know, what do you what questions do you have about game design? Do you want to learn more about what we're doing? Do you have your own problems with your games? Um, do you yeah um, yeah? It's supposed to be more interactive because uh, I mean we can just let Caleb talk about fake medical diseases all day um you know you dental ghosts and whatnot you know to be honest i think uh intestinal lycanthropy means you, you it's like your intestines turn into the intestines of a werewolf and so but yeah I, here's the thing if that's what you think and you're playing it that's what it is yeah i'm not gonna it's it's gonna be an adjective noun so you that's need, all it's gonna be so your intestines those intestines can only process like raw meat yeah and that's blood. not good yeah but like I, you I can't you turn into intestines during <laughs> oh yeah that's fine that's fine with me yeah or your intestines oh, your intestines turn into a werewolf in your body um, so it's just actually the the most difficult split is is I actually got a D one hundred list of medical things and I've got most of a D one hundred list for like fantasy things but the hardest part is maintaining like one side is adjective one side is noun because you you're like yeah you, you don't want to have like one side is occasionally medical and then one side is occasionally fantastic you want to keep them separated so you can attack different things but it's it's very hard to find like uh, adjectives for every kind of mythic thing and adjectives for that people will recognize for every kind of medical uh, disease yeah this is like I could have like so if you want to do like fairies and hearts you can have like myocardial fairy which is like you have you know a fairy infestation in your heart and you're going to need some sort of anti-parasitic uh but then like most people aren't going to know what myocardial is or you could have fey heart which sounds like some sort of slur uh of like the 1800s like before you go into battle oh that fey uh, yeah 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 so like oh, fantasy heartbreaker yeah yeah fantasy heartbreaker <laughs> uh, but yeah uh so I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm having trouble. Like, Celtic folk metal. Deciding: Do I put medical to adjective side, or, or mythic to noun side, or vice versa? Well, the discussion of uh, the lycanthropy is, mm-hmm. is a nice little analogy or metaphor for the whole the game design thing. You work all all this time on trying to create a vision that you can then pass on to others, and immediately the second they get it, it's all about something else. It has nothing <laughs> yeah. to do with what you're like. Okay, yeah. that's turned into werewolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, and I've got a system for like every quadrant will have like like a symptom represented to it. So you'll end up having six symptoms to role play because you'll got you've got three quadrants on each side and they make both. But um, I also have a system for like, all right, well these it could be this or this. Like so you can't just say, well he's sneezing. Sneezing's the only one for that one. So like. Uh, you know, I've, I've come up with, I had a math friend come up with an algorithm, but I haven't picked all the symptoms yet. I don't know what's fun to role play. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, I guess my, my question is mm-hmm. about um, when you are planning out a game, whether you're writing it or whether you're running it, um, mm-hmm. 
how do you, what, what is the balance that you strike? Because I struggle with this, the balance mm -hmm. between I have planned too much and I have planned too little. Because what I've come down to is like I write a few things on a note card and I'm done. But that might be too little for some groups. What's um, your feeling on that? I mean, it really depends on, I mean, obviously, how quickly you can adapt and improvise as a GM. Um, and uh, the, But any, any group can eventually, like, if they just keep turning corners and keep just heading off, like, all right, I have this idea for a treasure hunt on an island. And the players are like, well, we steal the boat and we go to the desert and we're going to, you know, free the slaves and uh, conquer this kingdom. And, like, you're like, well, I just gave that kingdom a name. I didn't even know there were slaves there. Oh, great, yeah. So uh, coming up with that, you know, kind of Spartacus campaign on the fly is... is, is Kind of hard. So I think it's part of it's sort of the agreement at the table, like for the players not to just sort of tacitly tell them, like, I don't have anything for this area if they go off the edge too far. Um, it also depends on the genre. Like, mystery games, you need to do a lot more prep work to make a real interesting mystery because mysteries are puzzles that all the pieces kind of have to fit together to a degree. Uh, whereas, like, a feng shui game or even a basic D&D kind of dungeon crawl is just like, yeah, there's, there's monsters. Uh, now there's this monster. Yeah, sure. Go, go kill more stuff. So at least that's how I think about it. Jeff? Yeah, I think that um, all... All games and game groups and the interactions are a whole bunch of slider bars, and it just depends on where your slider is for your group. Like, if your group is really cooperative and they all have the goal of, like, telling a certain kind of story, they're going to automatically know we can't go off to the desert to save the slaves because you just set up a mystery on this island, right? And they're just going to generally cooperate to get to the story that's clearly being tried to tell. But, you know, a slider bar may be more adversarial, and you may have a group of players that just wants to do whatever they can to sort of derail you. Because that's where they find their fun. Um, do you have a specific issue that you're ha uh, having? Or? It's, it's, the issue is more, um, I have a couple of players, and, and I love them, but mm -hmm. they will just run off and do their own thing, and then the rest of the party will go and do the thing that, that I had planned, and then they can see. Oh, so they keep splitting up. This is actually funny, because this is sort of yeah. a podcast idea that you were yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you... Do you do you feel that those players are trying to break something, or they're just independent? No, I, they, they are um, they're theater kids, and they, okay. they're running off to do acting. Have you had overt conversations with them individually? Yeah. No, I have, and it's got better. It's just, it's, all, it's still an issue. Sure, sure. I mean, maybe try and tell them, like, whatever you do, try and stick together, because, yeah, splitting the group up for long periods of time is like, well, why are you a You're not really a group anymore. Yeah. Like, if you, player A and B are like, we go off to the desert and uh, everyone else is on the island. If you so. um, have had those conversations uh, and it seems to be working, that's great. If you think, my suggestion would be try and either talk with them or figure out what they want as a player, what fun are they chasing, what goal for their character, then yeah. put that into the story that you want to tell to kind of lead them towards that goal, um, make them feel excited to go where you're pointing so kind that of they can be rewarded. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, um, game design needs negative space, and that's where emergent play comes in, but like, it's really hard to manage because you will probably have a thematic idea for the way you want your game to go, or at least ways you don't want it to go, and if you don't sort of mechanically reinforce that, it's tough. It, it, it sort of again, like I, I think about Delta Green, like in all the years of Delta Green, and then um, you come to conventions before the new edition came out, and 
it's a it's it's a game for people that want to play Tinker Tailor Soldier Tentacle and like <laughs> sadly yeah. walk in the rain and talk about their failed marriage as they get you know eaten by ghouls and that's what it's supposed to be but then they're like there's also a huge subset of it that's just gun fondling just like oh I'm gonna get this you've got a tax scope and like and and I really love what they did in the new edition because they're like all right well if you want to be efficient and good as an agent you need to not be crazy and the way to not be crazy is to have these scenes with your family that go terribly wrong and they sort of added a mechanic in there to be and it's less negative space but it's because sometimes the negative space was being used for something wacky um, and that that's fine if you're okay with that um, so Dr. Witch Doctor is definitely meant to be wacky I go do something you know ludicrous uh, but you know that red markets is not like I have a ton of subsystems in there to be hey, be depressed like um, so it, it's sort of a it's sort of a difficult balance because like if you can get them towards that direction just through the the evocativeness of your setting that's obviously the best way to go but um, yeah sometimes you do add a system just because like we're trying to tell a specific type of story this is essentially a uh, field of genre in- emulation in terms of a narrative and like you're way off genre so uh, yeah. yeah I've had to enforce that <laughs> yeah Delta Green especially yeah uh, yeah good question uh, yeah what's next for Red Marcus uh, Le Cabousier, uh, Chris did the wonderful maps for it, and I am just waiting on art. It's all laid out with uh, filler art. It's all edited. It's just waiting for uh, the last bit of art, and then we'll be publishing that through DTRPG. Um, I also have best practices done. I'm working on editing that. Uh, basically, we're going to see how much we sell here at Gen Con to see how much art I can buy. <laughs> um, but then we're going to be putting out supplements. Um uh, Bridget's going to write a supplement for us. Uh, I could not keep the playtest running for the war rules, and I don't want to put them out half-baked without having, having tested them well. So I'm going to replace that with another enclave uh, set in the Pacific Northwest. So, uh, and then uh, Ross has to write uh, Trabajo still, and then Kyle's going to do 80-20, which is uh, this unique dystopian uh, economic model, which I'm really interested in how it plays. Um, so basically, we're just we're just putting out supplements as soon as I get the money to fund them. Like I can pay all the writers, I cannot pay all the art right now. So mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for sales to refund on the art budget, and then I spend it all and publish another one. Um, actually, that uh, brought up. Sorry, you mentioned Kyle, um, and this is sort of if you're for aspiring game designers, um, something you should be aware of. Uh, Savage Worlds uh, apparently just changed their licensing condition. They're going to a DM's Guild model where they're just taking half your money or 40% of your cut um, and you don't get to use their licensed properties. So if you're using someone else's system, um, oh, did, like Savage Worlds is not open game license. It's not Creative Commons license. You had to sign an agreement to you trying use. to scam me, Jeff? Yeah. This what? is a long con? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it is. That, that is OGL is good. He, Q system is good. OGO. Please, uh, uh, this is the game room. Um, so, when there are other games out there like, uh, well, I can't think of the top of my head, but I know Savage Worlds is one of them where you had to sign an agreement 
in order to use their game system for your your, for your own supplement. So keep that in mind. If you if you're working in someone else's property, they can change the terms, and that could really suck. If you're like, oh, I'm going to get this money, and then it's like, nope, we're just going to take forty percent of your cut now, uh, and deal with it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle, because Kyle kickstarted a Savage Worlds uh, Tokatsu Tokusatsu, tokusatsu uh, supplement about common rider type. I don't. Need it's really it. up your alley, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't actually. It's like yeah. It's, uh, Weird stuff from Japan. <laughs> yeah, that's not awesome no, uh, it, it's live action. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Anyway, so um, sorry that was just an aside. Uh, who had a question? Uh, yeah. Uh, so for red markets, uh, okay. Has yeah. anyone approached you for like genre hacks or uh, anything like that, like taking it out of uh, you know near future post? Uh, apocalypse into some other genre. Yeah, uh, Ethan's doing a Black Death hack, so it's it's during the bubonic plague, uh, and it's medieval. Um, Ethan from uh, Technical Difficulties. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people have understood. I basically say what I say to everybody: it's Creative Commons. Just say you got it from me and go nuts. Like um, it, I don't do likes in agreement. I need to write the um, uh, playing the market uh, setting where where the supplement where we're gonna. It's probably just be a word document, but it's gonna be about taking the rule set into other settings and, and making new rules and things like that. Um, I actually have that all outlined, but. God's teeth definitely pushed that back. <laughs> it's going to be a while. But um, the basic premise was to take different elements of the profit system and be like, well, this is how I would move that into this. Um, right. So, And so I was going to do a bunch of different settings for it just as examples. Like, <laughs> I think profit would work really well for, like, stalker or um, roadside picnic. Um, I have an idea for a profit uh, system. Yeah, you're going to do the, the kaiju one surviving yeah. under their reign. Um, I think Witcher would be great. I know the new Witcher RPG. I'm definitely buying it if I can get a copy. But um, the, the Witcher's perfect because basically it's a feudal system in which your cast is so loathed, you're on your own capitalist system, which is really interesting because you know, it doesn't matter if they're a lord or a lady or a peasant. You're just like, if you want me to kill the griffin... Give me gold. Um, uh, so that one works. XCOM would work. Um, so Ben Heskitz is a RPBR community member. Mm-hmm. He's working on something he's just kind of calling uh, Red Money. And it's using the red market system as, as for like Ocean's Eleven style oh, things for like yeah. heat. Mm. Um, and he's done a couple playtests. In fact, he's looking for playtesters uh, at Gen Con. even talking about offering it up um, during the meetup if people wanted to play. Uh, it's pretty cool. He's got some neat ideas, and probably yeah, you could do like a payday kind of hack. Like yeah, yeah. The, the the one of the sort of strongest ideas he has is that the uh, your heat is represented by an elevating red die. So as things get hotter for your characters, the floor of the red die goes up. Ooh, so that's cool. even if you roll less than three, but the, the heat is three, that's what the number for the red die is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it seems brutal. Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas proposed to me a one where you're paying um, demigods, like Greek demigods, but you're you're all fated to die because you're demigods and things don't typically end well, unless you gain enough believers to ascend and become part of the pantheon. So you're either doomed to a terrible mortal fate, or you become one of the gods. And so it, it's basically instead of bounty, it's believers. 
Like, so you have to go around performing great deeds and you're spending like the faith of people as a currency. So like, I want to survive. So I'm going to spend this much faith, but then I can't bank that faith for the day I, you know, join father on Olympus. And instead, I'm going to get, you know, my liver torn out for all eternity or some sort of awful like hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going to be a modern-day evangelical hacker or something. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. The profit system. Yeah. Someone finally got it. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. Um, take away the mic. <laughs> um, we had a question back there. Yeah, so I, I don't have a specific question, just a design challenge. Sure. I'm working on a pirate game, and the system works really well when it's like just the players on a ship, on a small ship with a couple of cannons. But I want to expand that, and I'm trying to figure out how to do that while still giving the players agency. Yeah. But not like necessarily make it a tactical pirate simulator. Because um, you know, you want to have a ton yeah. of guns and a huge thing. I'm trying to figure out how to. I mean, usually what happens if you have you are you familiar with Greg Stolze's Rain? No. Um, so that would be something to look at. Great. Rain is a fantasy role playing game that uh, specifically models not only individual people but organizations, uh, which are called companies in the game. And the, a company has its own stats, like an individual person, but they're I mean they're different stats. And in order for your company to like go to war with another company, you would make a uh, like roll these dice, make a skill check essentially against them. It's an opposed skill check. And um, so what you could do with your pirate game is sort of abstract combat at a different level to where your ship becomes a new character. And so you're j- it's just becoming character versus character combat, only it's you know this galleon versus this galleon. And so... Um, that would be my suggestion. For, look at Rain, see what it does, and then just kind of apply those principles of just, just sort of abstracting and condensing. You know, like instead of making a hundred skill rolls, make one roll to represent a hundred skill rolls. Yeah. That that kind of principle would be what I would do. Uh, I, yeah, I looked a lot in the mass combat when I was looking at the war rules, and I think they will work. I just don't know when we're going to have time to play test them. But. Yeah. Um, and in Red Market, the, the war rules are basically a negotiation sheet again, only it's your side versus another side, and there's no limit on sway. So, like, if they have all these things, they can push down seven, and you just have to get that much sway so they don't kill you. Um, and basically what it ended up being, it ended up being these abstract narrative descriptions of like, all right, well, they're going to get plus two sway because they flanked you, or they have higher numbers. And, like, it ended up being this very narrative description. And what I found in mass combat rules is they typically go wrong because for some reason there's this impulse. Uh, Combat and violence is always abstracted in RPGs, like, even on the very personal level when you're just rolling around on the ground fighting something. Um, And the impulse for some reason is that when combat gets bigger, people abstract less and so like there's all sorts of flanking bonuses and momentum bonuses and charging bonuses and stuff like that and that was my initial impulse when like what essentially you're doing is you're making a war game and just nailing it to an RPG and that doesn't work um, yeah, so what I, so yeah so what if I what I found is that if you're going to make a mass like system to deal with like a larger group um, you need to further abstract not less and make it more narrative not less uh, because that's what they want. Like, when you see a battle scene in a movie, you want a pulled-back perspective. You want to see where people are moving. Whereas, like, um, 
and then you want to be able to cut to where your characters are at in that to have more interesting. And so if you have a more abstract narrative system, you can sort of camera cut into like what Julia is doing this scene to fight off the you know borders, and then you can go back to like well the fire ships are coming in, and you can sort of do that. Whereas if you make it too simulationist in the mass combat, everything's like Paul Greengrass movies. It's just sickening shaky cam. <laughs> Jason Bourne's doing this and somehow that hurts somebody and the camera's doing and no one knows what's happening and people get surprised by stuff that should have been described on a more macro scale. And So that's what I would suggest. I, I would say that if you're going to add mass to a combat system in a game, you need to go more narrative, more abstract, not more detail. Does that make sense? Yeah. What's the nature of the rest of the system? Is it pretty sort of traditionally crunchy, or is it towards the narrative it's end? A, it's a DCC hack, so okay. it's, it, it's very character-focused uh, and just kind of high adventure. It's D20-based? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, one other thing about Rain that I forgot to mention is um, it's like company versus company would be one skill check, but every player character fighting on behalf of a company can do a thing to give a bonus to that role. So, like, have every player, like, okay, you can make your leadership check to inspire your crew, you can make a gunnery check to aim the cannons better, you can make a roll to put out the fire, and so all those modifiers would help push it over the edge. Uh, but, yeah. yeah. Q-System would actually be something to look into, because it really Q-System replica- works fantastically for that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't maybe mesh well with the sort of crunchy bits of DCC. Yeah, but you can abstract lots of stuff. Yeah, and it's uh, is it OGL or Creative Commons? Uh, it'll be OGL. Yeah. OGL, open game license. So the, the mechanics will be free for anybody to do whatever they want. Yeah, however they want. So take a look it up with yeah. uh, and rain. Maybe red markets. <laughs> uh, Daniel? Yeah, this was also going off incursion and stuff like that for Jeff. Like mm-hmm. doing like a skirmish game, like an add-on to an RPG. Yeah. How, like for instance, Red Mark seems like it could be appropriate for that. Yeah. You have like tactical. How would you do that? Um, I would create a new system for that. I mean, personally, like I would look at something like Mordheim or Necromunda. Uh, Necromunda would be really good for red markets, I think. Um, and kind of think about what you want to do. Do you want to do a campaign kind of thing, or do you want to do a one-off thing, or, like, is it 1v1, or is it multiplayer, you know? Um, the, the thought I had was, like, it being a supplement to the combat in Red Oh, like a, oh, okay, so, like, mass combat. Yeah, uh, sort of But with minis. You take a team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was not minis, it was not tactical combat. Basically, we'd describe it, and it would just end up being, like, um, we, we ran a campaign where the campaign was set, and basically I was going to start with the war rules and tweak them as we went through and then end the campaign on a war. Mm-hmm. Um, so the campaign started with, like, a year after the crash, and I made two taker crews, and they had this, this two-front battle to establish the enclave, and um, we ran the mass combat rules. And, and it was pretty interesting, because they had, they had basic pushes, but what you can do is that... Even if you're outnumbered, your takers are badasses, so they can use leadership or risk themselves and give bonuses. So, like, yeah, you're outnumbered by vectors at the the door trying to break through, but if you join the line, like, people bolster and you add additional ones. And so it would basically end up being a whole game of individual scenes where people are running around and doing combat. Um, and then... Uh, but it, the, the mechanics of that was like, if you succeed in this and don't die, which is questionable because you're having a personal action scene, 
you're going to give the overall config to plus one. And um, the one I remember most was they're trying to evacuate on a dock, and uh, they they were being uh, overrun by vectors and like there was a group of people who hadn't gotten in yet that needed to get to the dock, but it was cordoned off and, and the vectors were flowing around them. And I'm like, well, you're going to lose them and that's going to hurt your morale. And then everyone's, and so what Aaron did is like, he got in an ambulance and like just rammed a hole through a building so people could run through the dock. And, you know, he's like being eaten on one hand and just firing a pistol and he blasts through a door and over the docks and is like half drowning but like he succeeds and doesn't die so like it stops the morale as all the people pour through the new entry and that was basically the whole game it was like a six hour session um, and you're basically just running individual scenes but they all affect this larger like push pull um, tide of war kind of thing mm -hmm. uh, so yeah it's just because you said like XCOM for it. Yes. And XCOM, like the type of comics, a huge part of the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I wouldn't do that part. I would do like, hey, aliens are killing us all, and be like, yeah, but mm, we just passed this budget agenda in our country, and no one wants more taxes. So it's like they're literally eating you. And it's like, no, mm, those laser guns are super expensive. We can't. Uh, I, I, mine would be more like the bureaucratic hell side of the base if I was uh, going to do that. But. Uh, we have a question back there? Yeah. Um, I'm basically, what I'm trying to work on right now is using using role-playing games as a therapy tool uh -huh. in, in certain settings, and I'm trying to figure out whether or not it'd be better to write it as scenarios for different product lines, or if it would be better to just start from scratch and build from the ground up. And I'm wondering what, like, what you guys think would probably be the better option. Um, I don't think you have to start from scratch there's a lot like fate and um you know power by the apocalypse and i've yeah. seen that used in a lot of uh red markets i'd be scared about red markets because like i know people who are just like i played your game and it gave me an anxiety attack and i'm like <laughs> that's not therapeutic um well, yeah yeah uh yeah so uh I, i'd be worried about that and i'm definitely not qualified but what what i've done is like i usually have a goal in mind and the people i know who do use games for therapy have a clear goal in mind so like we're gonna learn to cooperate so we're gonna play a co-op board game where you realize that um constantly sabotaging your sister sabotages yourself and the game becomes a metaphor for your need to change that behavior and like that's the goal like we didn't want to play pandemic we didn't want to stop the disease we wanted you to stop being a jerk to your sibling like yeah uh, yeah i'd second that just figure out what specific goal you want and then find the product line that's going to support that goal uh, and probably the simpler and more uh, accessible the rule set, the better. At least initially. There are a lot of really good rules light systems. There's some free ones. Uh, uh, Rises, uh, R-I-S-U-S, uh, is free. It's on the internet. It just uses D6s. Uh, there's also Wushu, uh, W-U-S-H-U. That's another free one. Those are very rules light. They're like fit on a page. There's also Cthulhu Dark, which fits on two pages. Uh, may not be great for therapy, I don't know, uh, but it's... Though the Rhesus and Wushu are really... Uh, uh, I mean, depending on the age of the people you're doing the therapy for and that kind of thing. Um, but there, there's... Yeah, there's a there's a ton of really good systems out there. Yeah, for that Red Markets is just Ruby Pain plus zombies. Like, so it's... 
pretty brutal. I don't know what kind of lesson you'd use to teach on it, except that maybe you shouldn't be a taker. Like, yeah. maybe the maybe the winning move is don't play this game, like, <laughs> and just go save up and become a potato farmer back at the enclave or yeah. whatever you think. So, so the game should be depressed, not cause Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, uh, hill folks, great. Like. I, I know a lot of uh, I've done work in class with Hill Folk when I taught RPGs where like teaching all human you know a metaphor for human action is petition or grantor and constantly refusing the petition drains you yourself and like makes you less capable and makes people less capable of giving you what you want that sort of action economy of that um, has been pretty useful for, for people that don't really understand the cooperative or uh, ensemble nature of RPGs uh, but yeah, I'm not qualified to speak of therapy. I, ju- I just know um, I don't think it's necessary to reinvent the wheel with your own system. Yeah, unless there's some unique need that yeah. like no other system can. But I mean, there's so many system systems out there. Yeah, uh, there's got to be something. There's also a lot of work being done on RPGs as therapy. Uh, I know there's panels about it here. There's um, actually a role playing bubble radio. We've done. I've recorded some panels at PAX South. Uh, about RPGs as therapy tools. Uh, if you go on our site and just type in RPG therapy, uh, you can probably pull up those panels. Um, there's a group in Seattle that does work on that. I can't remember their name off the top of my head, but um, yeah. yeah. Um, Other questions? Yeah. Okay, Laura. Do you consider farming out the um, playtest of morals? I'm sure. I mean, I've got two or three alphas, so I'm sure. Yes. I, I, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, it was working, like it was doable, but like that's the thing. It, it's something that works best when you build up to it, like in a whole campaign. Be like, oh, I'm really glad we got those guys on our side, session three, because now they're stopping the aberrant on the right flank. Um, but yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was great because whoever survived the initial playtest, they ended up being the founders and the guys who offered jobs for the campaign. So you got to see your own character four years down the road, like retired and hardened. And uh, Aaron's doctor was great because he was addicted to speed because he was the one doctor and like he had to do it all the time. So when I played him, I played him as like you know your frenetic general practitioner. He just like gets in his rolly chair. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Well, you know, it's like instantly taking like blood pressure and like listening to your heart. Like, yeah. By the way, I need you to go here and do, uh, you know he, I just made him like uh, combat junkie vet doc, uh, and it was mm-hmm. fun. Um, that's not related. Anyway, uh, yeah, I farmed that. Out. You can talk. About it. What's up? Uh, so, um, do you have any advice for like taking a thing basically? The, the realization phase, like if you've got it on a Word doc and you want to get it to production, mm-hmm. uh, I'm hacking away at a at a board game right now, and I've, okay. got, I've got stuff. I've got prototyping garbage. All so you're talking about like graphic design, like yeah, not just that, but like the actual you know printing process and just any advice really. Um, you probably have to fund it on Kickstarter, sure. uh, but that there's an initial investment. You need art to sell a Kickstarter. Um, you need to be able to show the game in at least somewhat of a finished concept. So there's there's a bigger upfront cost required for a board game Kickstarter than even a uh, RPG one because you do not have to prototype it somewhat professionally and show people how it's played. Sure. Um, but 
Where, yeah, besides that, um, there's a ton of board game printers. There are people that will do a prototype for you by themselves. Like, it'll just be game the singular pro game crafters will make a prototype of a game. Um, and they'll do single runs, so you can just have one to show people around, um, which is really good. But there is an upfront investment, um, especially now with the quality of board game Kickstarters. They, people want to see everything before they back. Um, and so, rule books that aren't photoshopped from somebody else's rule book. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's a gamble anymore. It's not like I had this idea, I'd really like to do it, Kickstarter, fill me in. It's just like, you got to be ready to go. Like So uh, had Party Foul not met, which it very much looked like it wasn't going to, Spencer and I would be out 10 grand. Because we hadn't, we'd already spent pretty much that in advertising and art before the game started, and it, we're probably losing money on it anyway now. But because it's just, it's a when like Hellboy board game launches on the same day and makes two or three million dollars, like they're sucking up all the oxygen in the room. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> It's good. Yeah, we're on track. We're going to print it soon. But yeah. yeah, I mean, also you need to figure out, like, um, for board games, you have to also think about manufacturing. Manufacturing is only really practical overseas, i.e. China. Um, there are manufacturers here uh, or that have reps here that you can talk to. Um, in terms of, yeah. Um, um, if, if you're you, going to work overseas, find somebody who has a U.S. sales department. Yeah. Because um, translation can get real scary when you're doing big print runs like and that can be a legitimate issue like with that and and normally they'll have um chinese uh nationals working in the u.s office and and u.s nationals working in the chinese office um that kind of stuff one thing if you don't if you're not ready to go quite full board game level um their drive-thru rpg has print-on-demand card cards is pretty great yeah drive-thru cards so you can uh, and they can do even little tuck boxes or like ship out entire decks of cards, and they have different sizes: poker, tarot, uh, square tiles that are like two or three inches. I can't remember. Um, and that's sort of a, like you'll still need a graphic designer to lay out the cards and get them ready and everything, but like that's print on demand, so you don't have to keep inventory, you don't have to worry about that stuff. One thing also with board games is one you could get, make a prototype and then take it to different game publishers and see if they want to buy it because in that case you don't have to do all that stuff they can do it uh, and presumably you somehow get money out of it um, <laughs> I, I'm not, as, as an RPG designer I'm not 100% sure on that part um, uh, if you're going to sell the, the goal is to design a bunch of different games Yeah, and then sell those because you don't have to deal yeah. with the right. yeah. uh, good question any other questions? yeah we'll probably do one more yeah. What's up? Um, just a quick one is there a point where it is too early for an RPG to start playtesting? Yeah, you need to have like an idea of how at least a one shot of it would go. Okay. Like certainly with Ruin, um, there was a lot of time where I had like character creation ready, but then like, oh, what are they actually going to do? So I had to create like a bunch of areas for them to explore because the whole game is about exploration. Yeah. Um, and I think you you kind of have to have all the mechanics at least you, that you're not making them off the top of your head that the player would encounter in one in one session. So with, like, with a home group no, with a beta yes. Yeah. If you're giving it to strangers, you're also selling the game. Yeah. And if it's not ready to go and they have to do more work. But generally like 
they're, skill most checks. people aren't forgiving yeah. about that. Uh, but with your home group, you just be like, I want to try out the single mechanic. They're your friends. You'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. But like... Yeah, it never got beyond the home group. Yeah, yeah. So, sooner the table with your home group is better. Um, beta, you need to have something kind of put together. So. Yeah. Um, certainly before I send Ruin out to other people, I'm going to have to rewrite or add a lot of text. Because a lot of mine, like, they do this and then this and then this. And, like, it's very, like, five sentences. Because I understand... It's more of, like notes for me to like not like actual game text so years ago yeah 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 it's rune has been percolating in my head for years as i've wanted to do something like that genre of horror the, between the house of leaves and silent hill and a few other things that i find really interesting but it's it's such a vague and nebulous thing that you can't really define it as a as a, a it's parts of other genres you know and so like you know the the Kubrick's the the Shining and like parts of survival horror video games like it's a really weird thing and uh, it's hard for me to sort of figure out. Um, before you guys go, um, we need to get we need to wrap this up. But please bring your tickets up.